0: Now, another episode on the Franchise Podcast Network, presented by Lucky Star Casino. Okay, we're going to try this uh, one more time. DNR report on this chilly uh, February 17th, Saturday, a couple days after Valentine's Day, guys. And I, I must admit, anymore when you've been married as long as I have, Valentine's Day kind of loses its luster. In fact, we... We decided a couple of years ago to, to not really do a whole lot about it. Look, I'm a romantic at heart. I'm always going to at least send flowers. So yes, I sent my wife a dozen long stem red roses for Valentine's Day to her office. And that was it. Uh, I got a couple of cookies in return and uh, a smooch on the cheek. So I, I got to say it was a good day. I know that uh, those of you listening probably have girlfriends that you go all out for and it's you know, dinner and movie and all that stuff. I, I did it. But the, the point is, not anymore. It, it kind of wears thin. And, and when you've been married this long, really, anniversary is about what you celebrate. You know, for Christmas, we give high fives. It's, it's just not, it, it kind of morphs into something else that's uh, just a sustainable living together for so long and you don't celebrate the commercial stuff. So I don't know why I decided to say that because I need stuff to talk about. Uh, Oklahoma baseball opened yesterday. I can't talk about that because we've got a baseball show called Bullpen Brothers. So if you want to hear about that, go over to uh, Bullpen Brothers and listen to Randy Heights and myself dice up Oklahoma baseball with ESPN analyst and co-host Mike Rooney. Uh, beyond that, we had the Super Bowl last week, of course. Uh, surprise, surprise. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs win it. Uh, I still think the 49ers are the best team in the NFL. Unfortunately for them, the best player at the most important position is Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Chiefs. And, uh, guys, that's what usually wins these games, and that's what happened. That being said, I think Steve Spagnola and that Kansas City defense, probably this year, more than any they've won it, deserves the lion's share of the credit because you did not see the same Kansas City offense that you, of course, saw with Tyreek Hill. It's impossible to sustain that without the guy. So I was impressed Andy Reid now has to start being talked about as one of the best of all time. He was able to take this team and morph it into something that it, they won in different ways. They, they used a running game with Pacheco. Uh, Travis Kelsey, of course, tremendous year, tremendous playoffs. But that defense was spags. I mean, an all-world secondary. You got Chris Jones up front with enough of a disruptor and a pretty decent pass rush off the edge, tremendous linebacking play. And that's what won him this game because I'll tell you what, if San Francisco picks up third and four with a minute 30 to go in the game in regulation, that's done. Like I said, you you drink a beer and you, you walk them off. You go hoist a trophy and it's over with. But Spagnola knowing he would have to get the ball out of Purdy's hands. Now, let me backtrack to this. I'll say this about that. I did not like the play call by the 49ers. You've got Christian McCaffrey, who in my opinion is the second best player in football. He does not touch it on the most important play they've had all season, the play to win the the Super Bowl. They split him out, try to use him as a decoy, go empty and put it in Brock Purdy's hands. I understand why you do that. He's your guy. He's your quarterback. You want to show faith in that. It doesn't work out as they get it batted down, kick the field goal, and of course that leaves Patrick Mahomes more than enough time than he needs to go down and tie it and eventually win it in overtime. But uh, that being said, great game. It it was about what we expected. Nobody pulled away, even though the Niners had plenty of chances in the second half. And that's where I, I think they had possession after possession after possession to build a two-score lead in the second half. And that Steve Spagnuolo defense of the Chiefs just kept them in the game enough to ultimately give the best player in football a chance to win, and that's what he did. So hats off to the Kansas City Chiefs. They are the best in football. Uh, by the metric of how we judge it they've got the Lombardi trophy and I think that Patrick Mahomes and especially Andy Reid really are itching higher in that uh, goat category I think we have to start talking about the Chiefs as a legitimate dynasty as a Patriots-esque dynasty and uh, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid as two of the best ever do it as a coach and a uh, player so congratulations to the Chiefs they they earned it this year again winning in different ways it was not as flashy not as pretty not as many yards not as many points uh but hey winning is winning that's all that matters end of the day they have the parade in Kansas City to uh to celebrate uh winning the entire thing and, and on that note want to say that of course our uh, our prayers with Kansas City you know the the horrific shooting that took place at their uh, their parade, just just a bad deal, man. when you've you've got that many people in the same area, uh, especially probably alcohol involved and and tempers are short, you know you're you're crowded in there like sheep, bad things happen, man. it it's just the way it goes. and uh, nowadays, it seems like everybody's at each other's throats before they even get out of the car. so, uh really bad situation there I hate to see everybody hates to see it obviously it's it's celebrating something for your city that a team that represents your city did and and that is what people are going to remember is the shooting at the parade so uh bummer of a deal there but hey with, this is a sports show not political so not going to get off on that too much but uh looking around other things of course Oklahoma softball is in full swing and uh they they pick up another couple of wins yesterday, not the most uh, grueling of schedules this weekend as they've got teams like Wright State and Lamore. So ought to be a pretty good warm-up for uh, Patty to get some players out that, that typically don't see playing time as I don't think they're in any danger of uh, losing that 59-game win streak that they're currently on. So on top of that, uh, Oklahoma basketball, wow, a really ugly game last week against the Baylor Bears uh yeah they're in shambles guys and it's yeah there, there's some injuries to look at and talk about right now but I'll tell you what with a full squad they're not beating Baylor that was an ugly game you, you didn't see the fight you didn't see the adjustments uh it, it's about as rudimentary in basketball as it gets elementary stuff when you're facing a zone to get a guy to the middle of it uh Lon Kruger, he was who was here before uh coach Moser was really good about that. Get somebody in the middle that can not only pass but turn around and, and knock down a 12-footer, you have to have that. And uh, it looked like, for whatever reason, Oklahoma and Porter Moser had no answer to the zone, which is staggering because it's not like this is the first time Baylor has employed a zone defense. So, hey, I, I don't know. You heard myself and Reeves Mitchell that cover Oklahoma basketball for the franchise right here. Uh, from the the first of the season, say this team we thought was better than people thought. And I guess theoretically they were picked preseason 12th out of the Big 12. So theoretically they are, and and we weren't wrong, so ha-ha. But uh, no, in all seriousness, I'm not seeing the improvement. I'm not seeing them get over the hump that you typically like to see in the third year of a coach. Uh, I'm not seeing the, the right trajectory all around of the program And you can point to whatever you want. I know that people, uh, when when they struggled a couple weeks ago, pointed to a defense they were playing as the catalyst as to why the half-court offense looked bad. Look, I'm just going to be blunt. It's been bad for three years. This is nothing new. It had nothing to do with the defense they are playing. It doesn't matter who they played the last three years. The half-court defense struggled. Why did they do better in non-con? Because they get out and run. And for whatever reason, they get in Big 12 play. And Porter uh, decides to stop doing that. Uh, yeah, I, I assume that the defense they're playing has something to do with that, but uh, the, the half-court offense is nonexistent. I, I don't know what it is. We, myself and Reeves Mitchell are, are basketball guys, and, and we've tried to kind of identify what it is they want to do on offense in the half-court, and uh, I, we can't, guys. There's a lot of standing around. There's a lot of dribbling, not a lot of movement off the ball to, to get shooters' shots. And even when there are, they're not making them. So I, I've heard it's the defenses are playing. I've heard they're, they're lacking an inside guy. Well, I hate to tell you, that's on the head coach and staff to fix. If you come into the year, uh, year three, still knowing you've got some issues inside, you've got to recruit better. You've got to go get a guy in the portal. And for whatever reason, it's not happening. And I don't see anything down the stretch. Uh, is they have Murderer's Row coming up, man. It, it does not get any easier in this league for Oklahoma as they play Kansas today and Norman. Uh, as soon as I wrap this show on another one on another channel, I'm going to be heading down to, uh, to cover that, but not expecting a whole lot as Rivaldo Soares was in a walking boot, not putting any pressure on his leg this week, and uh, John Hughley does not appear to be back either. So a couple key guys missing out of that rotation – And to be honest, if they were playing in full go, I still would give the nod to Kansas to win this game, even in Norman, because Porter Moser, I love the guy. I don't think you could create a better father figure or someone, a role model for these kids to look up to, but that doesn't always translate. And I was really hoping for Oklahoma's sake, he was going to be the guy. I'm just not seeing that. And there's been too many instances he's gotten what he's wanted and what he's begged for. And that's Lloyd Noble to be packed and have the support you want. And you, you don't get it done. You have to eventually win one of those games. And I think we will go back to the tipping point of the season as the Texas Longhorns came to Norman a couple weeks ago. Uh, people were excited about Oklahoma basketball again, they're ranked They're They're being talked about and they lose at home with a packed house to Texas. And, uh, that might not have been the kick in the nuts that did it i think you look at the next game same exact deal people said hey all right what's a rivalry game we lost to texas so be it and they pack it out again to give this team and coaching staff support against texas tech and you lose it so there's only so many times at a football school you can rally support for other support for other sports like basketball and not win and keep the people coming in and i think the texas texas tech game back-to-back in norman will be something we look back at that uh that really turn this season towards a negative trajectory and yeah i know they're still uh, being projected to make the tournament but uh that's going to be an uphill battle guys is i don't don't think they beat kansas today and five of the next six are very losable so a lot of things to keep an eye on. I think the fight you see or don't see against Kansas today will be telling. How much does this lineup really believe without Rivaldo, Suarez, and John Hughley, they can beat Kansas? How much would they have believed with them? Uh, is there still fight in the locker room? Does Porter still have the locker room? There's so many storylines to keep an eye on today that tell us where this team is or isn't. So, uh, gonna be Going to head down there and cover that, live tweet it and all that jazz through the franchise and keep up with it, but... Uh, just just not seeing this thing tilt the right way that again you, you like to give a head coach three years to, to get his own recruits in and start to get his his prints on things so that should be happening and yet the, the wins you like to see to to show the proof in the pudding so to speak is there aren't aren't happening so kind of a tough deal going on for OU basketball right now but uh, they've got games to play so we'll see what happens On top of that, we are just about a month away from spring practice down in Norman, firing back up for the football team. Uh, You want to talk storylines, boy, do we have them, as uh, Taylor Tatum now kind of seems to be the bell cow going into uh, 24 year one of the SEC. But uh, as we spoke yesterday, just here in the office talking about people they've got to tote the rock, Gavin Sawchuck, in my opinion, not only one of the best running backs going to be in the sec i think when healthy he's one in the best one of the best in the entire nation he's just he's got the breakaway speed you look for the elusiveness the vision to pick the right hole and the toughness to uh, to break tackles and get where he needs to be so a plethora of guys to choose from uh the quarterback at oklahoma is going to have uh to hand the ball off to and gone is the two-year starter with tons of experience uh, Seems like he's been in college for a decade. Dylan Gabriel in steps. Jackson Arnold, who has one career start under his belt as Oklahoma transitions to the Southeastern Conference. And uh, he he's the one that's going to take him off the cliff into the abyss known as the SEC schedule. So, you know, going back and dissecting the Arizona game, there was so much good out of Jackson Arnold. Look, I'm sorry. If you came away from that game saying anything other than that kid is special... You're an idiot. I, I don't know how else to put it. I, I'm not going to sprinkle any sugar on it, because uh, he showed things in that game that true freshmen just do not do. And again, what's what stood out to me? Things you can't coach. Yeah, you throw some bad picks. That's going to happen. You're, like I said, it's your first start ever. To to come back and keep firing and keep having the confidence that you're gonna you're gonna hit what you're aiming at eventually. Some of the layered throws he made that were just over a defensive back but in front of a safety. Again, you go back through the history of college football, there are very seldom times you see a true freshman make those throws. And again, I go back to Ohio State and Missouri's bowl game. Ohio State ended up trotting a true freshman out to play the bulk of that game. You want to contrast how he looked opposed to how Jackson Arnold looked. There is no contrast. There is no comparison. Jackson Arnold is as talented a signal caller that's been in Norman uh, since probably Kyler Murray. Uh, Yeah, I said it. And I think before it's said and done, he has a chance to be one of, if not the best quarterbacks in Oklahoma history. He's that good. Now, that's a lot of sugar being sprinkled. Here's where the salt comes in. How is the offensive line going to look? Yeah, I know a lot of people are sold that uh, they, they grabbed some guys from the portal and they, they got a North Texas guy that, you know, he was really good as a freshman in that league against those teams. I'm sorry, that's not the Southeastern Conference. Neither are the Arizona Wildcats. So anybody who says, yeah, look what they did against Arizona, stop it. Just go find a mirror, rear back, and slap the taste out of your mouth because there is no comparison between what they are going to see in the Southeastern Conference and the Arizona D-line, uh, let alone defensive backs, linebackers, all of it. So not all Rosie and Norman, and there are a ton of things that Brent Venables now going into year three uh, will have to show improvement on. And I know everybody's stoked, and they should be, that Danny Stutzman, Billy Bowman are turned on defense, as well as uh, key rotational guys up front like Jacob Lacey and Dejon Terry. And they add David Stone, an all-world guy in the middle. But that defense regressed as the season went on last year. And that's two years in a row that's happened. And a lot of the same guys back this year were part of it. So uh, that's just calling it like it is. That's, that's what we do here. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything with Oklahoma ever. And that's what happened. Uh, you go back to the Kansas game, really hard to put a loss on them when it seems like Ethan Downs made the pick that should have won that game. So you look across the board at Oklahoma's defensive secondary next year. You've got to feel good about Gentry Williams opposite Woody Washington. Uh, Woody Washington, of course, returns a just multitude of experience that he has garnered over his 25 years at Oklahoma. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Uh, bad attempt at humor. It seems like he's been here. Man. I'd love to get to get that guy one on one. We do interview players down in Norman. I would like to talk to him about everything he has seen in time here. Uh, you go through the Lincoln Riley years that there were that defense was optional. I, I mean, I remember sitting there in the Cotton Bowl, uh, knowing that Texas was going to go score to basically win the game after Kyler Murray had come all the way back. One of the best comebacks ever in the history of OU Texas. Well, it was up to that point. Uh, but knowing it didn't matter because, you know, Oklahoma could not stop. Texas couldn't stop anybody. And then sitting in Norman the same year with uh, bedlam, you know, and uh, Oklahoma state marching up and down the field it took a two point conversion stop by Oklahoma to win, uh, then going to the playoffs and knowing basically that, oh, you had no shot. And, and this is not a knock against any player. Defense just was not a big priority with Coach Lincoln, Riley, and Norman. You can tell it's still not out in Los Angeles as uh, Coach Alex Grinch was ultimately shown the door during the season. A move that, look, let's be honest. Let's go back and look at uh, Lincoln, Riley, in Oklahoma. He's got three of the best quarterbacks in the history of college football. Two win the Heisman Trophy, one is the runner-up, and they don't win a national championship. Uh, that seems staggering to even say and think about, of course, the best chance he had was the Georgia game, but you know, that, that was a tough situation. That's still when he had Mike Stoops as the defensive coordinator. I know that when a legend of the game passes you the keys, probably the, the first thing you do or second or even third that you don't want to do is probably fire his brother from a coordinator spot. So I kind of get that one, but you know, you go beyond that and you think, man, if this guy would have hired someone that was, you know, somewhat uh, just a little bit serious about coaching defense, what could he have accomplished at Oklahoma? I I think USC fans will probably be saying the the exact same thing as Caleb Williams time there has now come and gone and they don't have anything to show for it. So I've said for while he was here in Oklahoma, I don't. I argued with people. It might be stubborn pride. He thinks, "Hey, my offense is good enough. It'll eventually uh, break the glass ceiling and win on its own." That's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. You've got to have a defense to win any type of a championship. Kansas City just showed us that with Steve Spagnola. So, uh, the point I'm making is is if he would have hired somebody. Uh, maybe out of the SEC, you go back to Georgia under Kirby Smart, he was uh, employing two defensive coordinators, co coordinators. Uh, one of their their names was Glenn Schumann, which you'll find him now as Georgia's lone defensive coordinator and, and in charge of the best defense in college football. Uh, the other was a guy named Dan Lanning, which you'll find him now at Oregon, just uh kicking ass with, with the Ducks. So you go nab one of those two guys, and you you say, hey, the defense is yours. I've got the offense. Let's do it. Didn't happen, and uh, he decides to sneak out the back door after a bedlam loss. Does not get it fixed out in Los Angeles either. And now both teams are kind of uh, trying to rebuild. I think Oklahoma, unbelievably, is a lot closer to being where they want to be than, than USC is going into year three with Lincoln Riley. So uh, storylines galore to keep an eye on. As I mentioned, David Stone will now – uh pop a squat in the middle of Oklahoma's defense something that they have lacked for it seems like a decade in Norman and that is a difference maker up front uh we've heard forever these guys are quote really good depth guys well what does that mean it means that they're backups primarily so that is what they've been starting on the D line and that's no knock any player man it's it's what they've been able to recruit And this goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about. If you're not known for defense at your program, you're probably not going to recruit it very well. And that's what's been happening. You've got opposing programs and coaches using Oklahoma's lack of defense as a reason not to go there if you're a player. That is slowly starting to change under Brent Venables now are they perfect are they anywhere near i i think the the fan base thought they would be and brent wants to be no hell no uh you go back to last year uh before i to, to be full disclosure i'm in, in studio today having to run a couple of remotes and i'm breaking this off to go do those and coming back and restarting and i'm, I'm forgetting where i was so uh it, it comes to me you just gotta wait a second so to go back to last year uh the kansas loss you really I have trouble blaming that on the defense, but when you look at it, they gave up a fourth and seven uh, that ultimately lost them the game, even after Ethan Downs' pick should have won it. You pick up a first down, you take three knees, you get on the bus, you go home, and you you won the game. Didn't happen. They went three and out, punted back to Kansas, and ultimately that defense could not get the last stop they needed to win the game. Oklahoma State, same deal. Eventually the defense snapped, and it's hard to blame them because you stop the nation's leading rusher twice and Ollie Gordon on fourth and less than a foot to get the ball back to your offense. They don't do anything with it, and I know it puts a D back in a bad spot, but hey, if you've got an elite defense that you're going to lean on and you think is the reason you can win games, they've got to bow up. And this year, down the, the stretch, they didn't. Arizona, the exact same thing. Play well in stretches, but when it matters most, give up a drive that loses the game. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of that has happened in the two years under Brent Venables. Yeah, I know they improved six and seven to 10 and three. Monster turnaround, but uh, this stuff is fluid, right? If I'd have told you preseason, 10 and three, oh, yeah, everybody takes it. If I tell you after Texas, that's what you finish with, would you take it? Probably not, right? Because you th- you look at the team and you look uh, top to bottom and you think, well, you know what? Hell with that. They're better than 10 and three. And they were. And I, I think that's what's all ultimately going to stick in Oklahoma fans' crawl is they were better than the three teams that beat them. Uh, leaps and bounds better? Oh, some around here would argue with me on that. I I say, yeah. I, I mean, Jimmy's and Joe's, you go across X's and O's, Oklahoma's better than Kansas, Oklahoma State, and Arizona. But uh, they lost those games, and two of which with their two-year starting quarterback with, again, 25 years of college experience with Dylan Gabriel. So, uh, all kinds of stuff to work on if you're, you're Brent Venables heading into spring practice again just about a month away, but uh, you look on the outside. Uh, th- again, I said there's a plethora of running backs hand the ball to. If you're Jackson Arnold, you should also have a plethora of guys to throw it to. As You've got guys like Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, Andrell Anthony should be back in the fold, uh, and then some new guys like Petaway that we didn't see last year because of Drake Stoops. Had a great year, by the way, but uh, really stoked to see what what Pedaway can do at the at the slot, and uh, Jaleel Farouk told me in practice, one of the last practices, he wants a, a crack in the in the slot. So there are no shortages of guys to to catch balls from Jackson Arnold next year. Uh, probably going to be one or two unhappy. They didn't catch what they thought they should have, but you know that that's the world we're in as they get. Uh, uh, a portal transition down from Purdue, Deion Burks, uh, who is typically going to be a one wide receiver at any program in the country, will be two or three at Oklahoma. How is he going to handle that? Will, will he be happy enough to uh, to keep lining up, playing, giving him his all? We'll see. We don't know. And I don't know where he's going to play. He primarily played on the outside at Purdue. Uh, I have him projected as a slot guy in Norman, which, again, you've got Petaway, you've got Farouk. Who have been around the program and have kind of earned their the the guys trust and the coaching staff's trust. So really curious to see how that shakes out. You go out to tight end. They bring in. Uh, they lose Austin Stogner, which uh, just a, a little sidetrack note on that. I, I thought people were really excited when he came in to Norman for the second go around from South Carolina, but. Didn't really live up to, I think, the hype, people thought. Uh, I think that, that knee injury he suffered before he left Oklahoma to go to uh, Columbia to join Shane Beamer really caught up with the guy. And uh, I've stood next to him in practice, talked to him. He's, he's a big guy. He's got a lot of weight on that knee. And I don't think he ever got the, uh, the step back he lost. But gone is Austin Stogner. and Not really a ton of production to replace there. But Davion Mitchell comes in, number one tight end in the country. And I think you'll see a lot of production because Seth Luttrell's offense at North Texas utilized a tight end uh, more than Jeff Levy has, really anywhere he's been. Lebby, people want to compare Levy to this guy and that guy. You can't really do it. I think the closest would probably be Art Briles. And yes, I said the AB name, forgive me. But uh, he likes to spread them 53.5 across and really use that to spread the defense out for vertical passing shots. That That's his entire M.O. Did we see all he could do? Because the arm strength of maybe Dylan Gabriel was a little bit capped. Yeah, probably. I don't think we saw everything that Lebby wanted to employ in his playbook. And those of you out there that thought they lost because of Lebby, I'll go back to the mirror statement and what what you need to find one and do. It was not his fault. Again, there were things in every single game you point to, but he became the scapegoat in Norman anytime anything bad happened the last two years. But a tremendous offensive coordinator and there were reasons that sec schools wanted him as their head coach and that's what they ultimately got in steps uh seth luttrell uh fairly you know unproven as far as calling d1 plays yeah i know he was at north carolina a while in north texas uh let go from both and uh he ends up as an analyst last year in norman and now finds himself as the the head guy on offense so Uh, You know, I've always said talent wins. It's about uh, Jimmys and Joes, not X's and O's. So I think he's got one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Uh, Tremendous wideouts. One of the best uh, tight ends, hopefully, for Oklahoma fans. Devin Mitchell turns into. And, again, a a running back room that is probably the deepest room of any position at Oklahoma going into next year. So no reason this offense should not succeed. Conversely, on the defense, uh, Danny Stutzman returns with a multitude of linebackers to go with him. Kip Lewis, Jaron Kennett, Kobe McKenzie, guys that all saw meaningful reps last year and all very talented. Uh, Deshaun McCullough, uh, again, going back to somebody that I don't think lived up to the hype, not his fault. I was one of the only ones in preseason last year to say, well, wait a minute, this guy's 6'5", 230 pounds, and they're expecting him to cover a slot guy as a cheetah? That's a tough ask. Well, yeah, 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 but Brent had guys like that at Clemson. Uh, yeah, he he had a guy like that at Clemson, which there's only one of. They're not just – you don't go pick him off a tree. He was able to, cut, to pull that off. Deshaun McCullough was not. He struggled in pass coverage. Surprise, surprise. Really good in stuffing the run. So I just wonder, especially if Justin Harrington gets his medical clearance, if you see Harrington slide back into the cheetah spot and maybe move Deshaun McCullough up to where he had six sacks as a true freshman in the Big Ten, and that's defensive end. Uh, that would pair him and P.J. Adebore off the edge with David Stone up the middle, which I think would be a very lethal pass rush. Uh, just a lethal down four, in fact. So, And it does not have to be Justin Harrington. I think guys like Jaron Kanick could probably get a look at Cheetah. Uh, Kobe McKenzie, I think. Kip Lewis, all of these guys could play that spot. Uh, Deshaun McCullough is just built to play a different spot. Yeah, he can play some Cheetah. In running, in running situations, and he did good last year. But cheetah has to – not only is it the most important position in Brent Venable's defense, it's the most versatile because you have to do a ton of stuff. And, again, no knock against Deshaun McCauley. He's what he is. He's a tremendous athlete, but he's a big dude. And when you've got 5'8", shifty guys like Jalen Saunders, for example, in the slot, that's a tough ask. So, you know, it, it kind of unfolded the way at least I thought it would. So I'm curious to see if they tinker with some things – uh in the defensive backfield heading into the sec but on top of that uh i'd be remissed if i didn't mention a team that is so hot you can't even look at them without burning your eyeballs right now that's oklahoma women's basketball they're actually on the overhead speaker out in the hallway here at the franchise uh going for i think win number 11 in a row as they now find themselves in clear sole possession of number one in the big 12 and uh yeah jenny branchak just has things rolling in norman but uh that's going to do it for this edition of the DNR. It's just me up here today as both Randy Heights and Reeves Mitchell uh, are taking a Saturday sabbatical. I will catch up with Reeves and Norman for the OU game later on and see Randy uh, probably Monday. But wanted to get uh, some things recorded and out to you guys about what all's going on. Again, this is not a baseball show. We have one of those called Bullpen Brothers on the same platform. So check that out if you want any Oklahoma baseball news as we uh, caught up with Mike Rooney for a great interview. But that's going to do it for uh, the DNR Report, February 17th, uh, Saturday edition, a couple days after Valentine's Day. Uh, Dave Myrick, DNR Report. This is brought to you by Bob Hurley RV. Hurley RV is the largest RV dealer in the state of Oklahoma with over a 1,000 units on their lot, new and pre-owned. Sales manager Michael Day Uh, The dude has everything you're looking for. Look, if you want to go get something to tailgate in style in the SEC, because that's how they do it, go check out Bob Hurley RV. He will get you taken care of. Again, Michael Day. They are at 8606 North I-35 Service Road in Oklahoma City. For the DNR Report through 1077 The Franchise, I am Dave Myrick. We will catch up with you guys down the road.